As you're standing, let's pray real quick uh, because that song is just hitting me hard. Oh, Christ, be magnified. Lord, I pray as our worship pours out to you that you are magnified, not us magnifying ourselves, not the praise team magnifying themselves, or me or Zach, the pastors magnifying ourselves, but Lord Jesus, be magnified. Let our hearts be placed on the altar. Let our idols be placed on the altar because you are worthy to be magnified. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We honor you. We glorify you. And we ask all this in your holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Man, I don't know if your New Year's resolutions were sing better or whatever it is that you may have, but y'all sounded really good. Grace, us. Um, man, really good. Thank you for that. Golly, may Christ be magnified. So if you enjoyed that, I think Zach might have already talked about it. I was outside doing what I do best, which is running my mouth. Um, but uh, next, this coming Saturday's praise night. We'll be able to do that. You won't have to listen to me, I promise, maybe for just a second. Um, so come to praise night. We're just looking to it for a chance to, at praise night, we are going to just praise, basically, and praise God and thank God and honor God and glorify God. And then, because this is what we seem to do best at Seal City Church, we're just going to party together and have a good time in fellowship. So um, come. We would love to see you. I think it's, what, four to six. I'm going to give out wrong information. Zach's nervous over there because he's like, oh, here goes Chris. Um, so we look forward to seeing you next week on Saturday, just simply to get a chance to, oh, Christ, be magnified. So William Randolph Hearst was the late newspaper publisher. So at some point in his very successful life near the turn of the, the century, yes, back in the 1900s, a long, long time ago, um, he decided to invest a fortune into art collecting. And just great pieces of art, it didn't matter what it was, he wanted to just collect as much art as he possibly could, and he was doing it from all over the world, and he, had, he, he collected so much art, he didn't have places to put it, he would just begin the process of storing them into warehouses. And so he was reading in one of his books or magazines about this one piece of art, this priceless, very, very, very beautiful piece of art, and he determined within himself that he had to have it, and he would do whatever it took. So he told some of his, his guys, his art-collecting guys that would do the work for him, he said, hey, this is what I want, this is the description of it, go and find it. I've got to possess this piece of art. And so that guy went all over the world. No stone was left unturned finding this piece of art. Finally, after months and months and months and months of searching, this guy comes back to William Randolph Hearst who needed this in his possession so badly. And the guy said, Mr. Hearst, with joy, we have finally found the piece you were looking for. And William Randolph Hearst was just excited. Thank the Lord, I'm finally going to have this in my possession. And he asked, where'd you find it? And he said, well, Mr. Hurst, we found it in your warehouse. 
You purchased it months ago. William Randolph Hearst was frantically searching for what he already possessed. He was frantically searching for what he already possessed. Last week, we discussed the immeasurable benefits that we receive in our salvation. The benefits those who follow Jesus have freely received based on no work of your own. We made sure it was very clear that God is the active agent in our salvation. We are the passive agent. We receive these incredible benefits. We, based on that, know that we are chosen. We are holy. We are blameless. We're adopted. We're paid in full. We receive wisdom. We are sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. What is sealed is irrevocable. And so Paul here in Ephesians, as we jump into the second half of chapter 1, Paul is not blind or dumb to the journey that the Christian faith brings us. And so as he's writing this letter of Ephesians, or this letter that we have the one that's addressed to the church in Ephesus, to the followers of Jesus in Ephesus, but this letter was written most likely to churches all over, and even the the Ephesus church probably recopied and sent it out to their brothers who were in the, the, the surrounding areas. So we have this letter now. It's just as pertinent to us as it is to, to them at this time. And so he knows exactly what us as followers of Jesus are up against. And the worries that he had are in some ways exactly what, what me and Zach and Tyler, we were actually praying for you, many of you, by name, this past Wednesday. And some of our prayers were actually mirroring what we're going to talk about today. You know, Paul has just laid out the immeasurable, free, beautiful benefits that we receive in salvation. And we're praying for that over you, and I pray for that even over myself, and I am just like the dog Doug in the movie Up, if you've ever seen it, where it's just like, squirrel! Because I tell you, once that shiny, glittery red ball goes flying across the yard. Man, I could be eating the, the best steak. I could be eating a, a, a Kobe beef dry-aged ribeye that's prepared by one of the best chefs in the world with spices from, from the four corners of the world and prepared tenderly and nice. And that shiny red rubber ball goes bouncing across the yard and it is squirrel and I'm after it. Like it's, it's something I've got to have. Every single time I grab the shiny red ball, guess what I find out? It is but a rubber ball that is red, embedded with most likely dollar store glitter, which I hate beyond anything, being a former elementary school teacher. And that's all it is. And I left the stake behind, the filling thing behind It's just a rubber ball embedded with glitter. Paul knows this. Paul sees this. And that's why we move from last week's beautiful passage. We actually said, being all Bible nerds that we are, that Paul shared the benefits of our salvation in this 202 Greek word sentence. They was actually been called a a monstrous sentence conglomeration, one of the longest known in the Greek language. 
It's described as the kaleidoscope of dazzling lights and shifting colors. And then he follows it up with with what we're going to talk about today, which is 169 Greek word sentence. It's a prayer for followers of Jesus, of the early church, and for us now. And it's exactly what we need. So let's together as a congregation stand, if you're willing and able, as we read God's word. We're going to be in Ephesians 1. We're going to start in verse 15. We're going to go through verse 23. We stand at Still City Church when we read scripture corporately because we want to indicate the fact that we stand on God's word. If you hear anything today, let it be this. Fall asleep after this. Don't wake them up, all right? If they can stay awake through this and they've heard exactly what they need, the beauty and the richness of God's word. So this is the word of the Lord. Ephesians 1, verses 15. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, don't cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in the accordance of the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, and not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. So there's so much wrapped up into this, and we have to, we, we, our attention draws into verse 17. And the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of of glory. That's who this is being framed around. The Father of glory. We have to make sure we understand what glory is. Glory is the reflection of the essence of one's being. All right, it's the summation, it's the gathering of all of one's attributes. The essence of one's being makes an impact from one's reputation that emerges. You know, so often you see like a queen and they'll talk about her, her elegance. You see her beauty. You see how she moves. It's a, this, her glory of, of, of the queen is the summation of all its parts. Of course, it's easy to talk about a queen, but when you come from a place like I came from, you got to talk about fireworks. All right, And there were some buddies of mine back in the day who I was not part of this or I might be missing some fingers right now. But they were like, you know, it'd be really cool if we took a bunch of different fireworks and duct tape them all together and lit them on fire. It'd be really cool. Don't do that, okay? Don't do that. But what they did is they took a whole bunch of random fireworks, they put them together, 
they wrapped them together. They put a fuse out, and they were like, oh, sweet, like the, the bottle rocket's going to go here, and the Roman candle's going to go here, and the, the sparklers are going to go like this, and the other thing, the black cat's going to go boom, and this. Well, what happened was is they had, luckily, they, they actually put it in a, set it in a place that was not near any houses within like a relative distance. They lit the fuse. They all ran and jumped over a brick wall. The fireworks did not go anywhere. It was just simply an huge explosion that left a crater in the ground where it was. The summation of all the pieces of the fireworks made for a glorious, glorious explosion. Here we have God. He says the father of glory. God's reputation displays splendor and power and radiance. If we look at all what we know of God and his attributes and his characteristics, we know that he is all powerful. But when that's mixed with his when when that's mixed with his his um all-knowing peace, and it's mixed with his internality, and when it's mixed with his, as we said last week, his omnibenevolence, but then that's mixed with his love and his mercy and his grace and his patience and his truth and his faithfulness, we begin to see this thing stir together, and all we can say is, oh, wow, the the explosion is so real. But the thing it's pointing to here is God is not only a glorious father. We sing that song, good, good father, you're a good father. He's not just a glorious father, but he is the father to whom all glory belongs. That's who's pouring these benefits out to us that he may give to you, the glorious father gifting to his followers He gives, good fathers give freely to their children. And so here we're receiving that. So how do we receive it? That's what what Paul then moves into next. So we we continue in verse 17. The Father of glory uh, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. A spirit of revelation and wisdom in the knowledge of him. So how do we receive it? Well, there's this, this spirit that comes out. We have this spirit. Now, we have to be very clear here. We're not receiving some new spirit. Remember, at salvation, we're instantly indwelled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have the Holy Spirit. So he's not mentioning the Holy Spirit here. What this is, is a, it's a like spirit when a spirit of, of wisdom and revelation, a willingness to accept, a, a demeanor within yourself. Have you ever tried to correct someone or challenge someone or coach someone? You can't coach someone that's uncoachable. They don't have a spirit of coachability. And until they're willing to get that spirit of coachability, my coach would just run us until we couldn't run anymore, and somehow that brought about a spirit of coachability. That's not what God is doing here, although maybe sometimes that may be what he needs to do to us, being hard-headed like me. But here he's going to gift us this spirit of wisdom and revelation because he's a good father, the father of of glory. What is wisdom in it? This wisdom, or your Bible might say insight, it's, it's that understanding of known facts into the true nature of things. So we're going to receive this from the Father of glory and this revelation, which is something that we have to pay very close attention to here because this is not personal revelation as God spoke to me or God told me. This is a general revelation that he's giving to followers of Jesus, those that confess Jesus as 
explored. He's unveiling something here or disclosing something to us that had previously been hidden. So because of what Jesus has done for us, we are now invited in. Now whenever we see throughout Scripture a spirit of revelation, a spirit of wisdom, something to accept, something that always has a level of theological significance. So it's very important here for those that are followers of Jesus Christ for you to pay attention. You know, it's not just the impartation of knowledge that he's given us, but it's the actual unveiling of intrinsically hidden facts that cannot be discovered by human investigation. You can't just go out and run the scientific method and find what we're about to talk about. Because this isn't the knowledge of him. The only way we can really dive into the knowledge of him is through what he's done for us, what he is doing on our behalf as we open our hands and open our hearts to what he's going to reveal. It's the deep things of God's, of God, God's wisdom, his power, his ability to change. You know, so often we hear in our world when we talk about philosophy, it's, it's like just said, like, know yourself. Know who you are. Just know yourself. But here Christianity says something very different, as Paul makes clear here. It's not just know yourself. It's know your God. But you can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. So here Paul is exclaiming to them, it's not you do you. It's not you follow your heart. Because if we look at Scripture, we know that heart is deceitful above all. Our emotions can lead us astray at times, although our emotions are important. Our mind can, can, can have a, a thinking process that might lead us astray. So we've got to make sure that we're grounded and we're rooted so it's not just about us. It's about us knowing the Father of glory deeply, letting that wisdom roll into us and fill us. It's through the power of God's Spirit inside of you we become, to look, we become to look like Christ. We become to know him and follow him. And he says this statement in verse 18. As we continue, it says, Paul starts his prayer. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. Now, if you look at literature throughout our time, typically the heart was, we, don't, we, we in our very scientific Western mind think of the heart as an organ that pumps blood to the rest of the body. And it, if the heart stops, we've got a problem. And if it doesn't, then it's got to be strong. And so you walk or you eat right to build your heart up. But literature looks at heart very differently saying, I pray that the eyes of your heart, so we're given this personification to the heart, this power to the heart, this realization that the heart is more than just an organ. But Paul prays that God might give them a spirit to procure the insight and revelation of the knowledge of their God. He's telling that to us. And that the understanding had already been somewhat enlightened at the moment of belief through the indwelling of the spirit. We've received that. But he's like, I want you through your heart being enlightened as you open it up and light flushes in that you know, you know the Father of glory and what he gives you. The heart is a comprehensive term. 
It's used here for the entire inward self, for our entire personality. It includes our intellect, our will, our emotions. And he wants it to be enlightened by the light of God's truth, which then affects our inner being. And then it affects our outward working. So what is it? That's the who, that's the how. So what's the what he's telling us about? So we continue in verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what? Know what? What is the hope of his calling? Is the first one. The hope of his calling. We need to know the hope of our calling. When we talked last week, one of the very first benefits that he unveiled to us is that we are chosen before the foundation of the world. Well, we need to know the hope of our calling. This is not just wishy-washy hope. This is subjective hope. Hope that stems from the center of who we are because of what he has done for us. And he's done it to us since before the foundation of the world. He chose us. He adopted us. He paid us in full. He's sealed us. This is the, the hope that we can have in that. Not, not the world's wishful thinking, but the absolute certainty that God will make true what he has promised. God's done A. He's done B. He's done C. He's done all the way through Z. So therefore, I can have hope looking forward. I can move on. His calling, the reminder of the benefits that we've received. You know, when everything else around us is shifting and everything else around us is moving and times are hard or things aren't working out right or that relationship fell apart or this job fell through or this paycheck's not coming or whatever it may be. When we know the hope of our calling we can rest in that. When we know the hope of our calling is not based on our actions, but on what he has done forever. We can rest. It's the reminder of, you know, God does not change. When he does something, it's irrevocable. When he seals, it's unsealable. When he chooses, when he picks us in the first round, even though we're not deserving to be picked in the first round, we have a no trade clause. It's done. We can't go anywhere else. We're his. We can rest in the hope of his calling. And that's not just an intellectual understanding of that. We can let that seep in and rest in our inner being of who we are. That can affect our emotions and our thoughts and our will and our actions. Then he says something else in, in verse 18. So what is the hope of your calling? And then what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And there's been some debate throughout uh, church history on how this sentence is structured in a lot of our translations. And, and one of the things here I, I use, and what's on the screen, the New American Standard Bible from 1995, because I'm old school like that, um, is the way it says, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? But that end could also be translated or assumed as in the Greek text of, of the saints. 
And now remember, this is revelation. He is opening up some understanding to the followers of Jesus for all time for you to be able to rest in this. And this one here is just immense for me. This does not mean our inheritance. We talked about that a little bit last week. When you're adopted, as we are adopted as a child of God, that comes with inheritance. That comes with the goods. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's us. We're in when we're adopted. But this isn't necessarily here referring to our inheritance. He owns all the cattle on a thousand hills, but I've heard say all that is is moo and poo. He wants more than that. What does he want? He wants you. He longs for you. The Father of glory longs for you. This means that we are his inheritance. Wait, what? We are the father of glory's inheritance. God thinks of us in a way not to squander, not to mess up. He does all that he does for us so that we're matured in the right time. Think about your crazy rich uncle. We talk about crazy uncles a lot, don't we? We all got them. Think about your, your rich uncle. You might not have one, so just imagine that you do. He's got no kids. He's not married. He comes to you and he says, hey, I, I don't have kids. I'm not looking to get married. I'm very successful at what I do, and I love you deeply. I want you to inherit whatever I have at the end. His inheritance is wrapped up in, in functioning business, or real estate, things that will mature later. It's not liquid cash. It's like you can't just roll out the bank and be like, I'm taking my inheritance early and going. We, we saw how that worked out in Scripture, right? And he's like, here's your inheritance. You can help me manage it until it matures, until the time comes where it's yours. What do you do? What do you do? You squander it, you waste it away, you're negligent towards it, you don't ever think about it. This is a large sum, large opportunity. This is life-changing opportunity of inheritance. You don't squander it. You begin this process of, of, of paying attention and doing whatever you can and, and related to, to business or, or, or real estate. You're like, ah, all the deferred maintenance we need taken care of. If there's even a thought of a leaky gutter, replace it. Do whatever it is. Make the roof right. Do whatever it is. Put the best materials possible into it. You want to put your things in places where it can appreciate. The businesses that you're going to inherit at some point in time. Employee satisfaction is going to be out the roof. Everybody's going to want to work here. I'm going to have the smartest, brightest, best-looking people ever. They'd be beating down the doors of Steel City Church to come get everybody good-looking as y'all are. You'd make sure there's a clear mission and vision and goals and things are set and people know exactly what they're doing. You'd have efficient processes. You wouldn't be just making right now decisions. You'd be making decisions because you know that everything's going to mature at some point in time because you want that inheritance to be mature when it comes time for you to receive it. 
It's exactly what God thinks about us. The Father of glory is doing everything he possibly can to mature us as followers of Jesus Christ individually and collectively as a local body and a global body to ensure that we mature when it's time for him to receive it. That's how much he loves you. He longs for you. Let that seep in. Let that roll around in your heart for a little bit. We can appreciate the value that God places on us because we can accept it in just grateful humility and grace because the God of the universe, the Father of glory, the glorious Father of glory longs for us. And then finally, the third one of the what. We have the hope of our calling. We have the riches of the glory of our inheritance. Then we have the greatness of his power. Now one thing we talk about as we're reading scripture and we challenge you with is look for repetition or redundancy. The authors of scripture would use redundancy or repetition to draw attention to various things. And Paul does this beautiful thing in this passage right here. He says in verse 19, he says, And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? All right? Surpassing greatness. We see this redundancy here. We have great, but it's greatness. It's great is, but it's surpassing great is. So it's like great, 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 right? Because here we, he's like drawing us attention here. He's, he's building steam and he's like, hey, you want to know the what? All right, here's the what. And I'm not just spending a short phrase on this. Like I'm about to blow this thing up. So watch, watch this. He says, the surpassing greatness of power towards those who believe. And then he goes on in the next sentence, which in Greek, this is another sentence. It's all one sentence, but us Americans, we get a little squirrely on that. It says, these are in accordance with the working power of the strength, power of his might, power. But power was just said, and it was redundant, so it was great, great, great power. And then he says three more Greek terms that also mean power. And so he says, great, 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 power, 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 power. The greatness of God's power, according to the power of the power, of his power. That's what he's given us. But the beautiful thing is, is he keeps going. He doesn't stop. Because the greatness of God's power in the present age is not only described, but it's demonstrated here. And so he lays out this demonstration of his power. So essentially God is saying, hey, I've given you a hope of your calling. I've given you, you are my inheritance. I'm going to make sure I do everything I possibly can. And all this is going to be in accordance with my power, my great power, beyond measurable power, immeasurable power, beyond anything you could comprehend. But watch this, hold my beer. Here we go. Because here he says in verse 20, 
which he brought about in who? In Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the age to come. So we know that he exercised his power. He demonstrated his power when he raised Christ up from the dead. But he didn't stop there. And then he put him, he put all things in subjection under his feet. So now he has seated him. So now he has exercised him by raising him, by seating him at the right hand of the throne, and then now by subjecting all things under Christ's feet. Everything that drags us down is simply but a footstool to our Savior. He rests his feet upon it. It is nothing to him. Then he says in verse 23, I'm sorry, verse 22, and gave him his head over all things. And who did he give him to? To the church, which, is, which is, is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He exercised it in Christ by raising and seating him. He showed his power by subjecting all things which are Christ's footstool now, and he gave him to the church as our head. That's why we look to Jesus constantly, because he is the epitome, he is the essence of God's power, poured out to us, for us, to mature us, to remind us of our calling. You know, but knowing, knowing We're supposed to know this deeply, know from the eyes of our heart, just an intellectual understanding. We can walk out, and I could probably poll every single one of you because my sermon is so good and so rich, and I don't think anybody is sleeping unless you're sleeping with your eyes open. I've seen a couple people doze, but that's okay. I love you anyway. I could probably ask you, what are the three things, and you'll be able to boom, boom, boom. Like, I know in my head. But that's not just it. It goes so much deeper than that. It needs to go into the eyes of our heart, from the center of our being, from our will, from our emotions, from our intellect. And that leads us to what? When we begin to really know who our God is and what he gives us, it tells us to stop frantically searching for what you already have. Followers of Jesus Christ, stop searching for what you already have. Stop chasing the shiny red ball when you've got porterhouse steak sitting right in front of you. We want to be known, intimately known, deeply known, relationally valued, We possess that. We have it. We are intimately known and we're intimately desired. We want to hope in our future. We want success. We want notoriety. We want peace. We want families. We want legacy. We possess that by knowing that we are, as followers of Jesus Christ, a long-for inheritance. We, We want power. We want control. We possess that through the greatness of his power, according to the power of his power of his power. 
So why is Paul saying this then? Because like Doug, squirrel, we're so quick to run off track. Honer, one of the commentators that I've been studying through, he says this power, these promises are directed to all who believe. Especially this power, it's the kind of power, the very power, the exact power that is needed to survive, not for us, not for us to be active, but it's for us to survive the satanic, hostile powers and worldly systems that surround us. Listen to this, just pay attention to this real quick. We, we cannot fool ourselves into thinking that we don't have an adversary, that we don't have some level of power on the other side that is working against us. We can't allow ourselves to be lulled to sleep thinking that this worldly system that has been developed, that we live in, that so often we even have a hard time identifying, we're like fish in water, we don't even know that we're wet, that it's, it's not really working in our favor as followers of Jesus. Satan's too crafty for that. He knows. He knows exactly what glitter to put in the red ball for you to chase it. Just to make it very clear, Satan is fluent in the language of lies. That's his number one language. He's in English as a second language speaker. Every other language is second for him. Lies, number one. It's his native language. Nothing he speaks to you is truth. It might be half truth. Nothing is truth. His most comfortable actions are actually stealing, killing, and destroying. That's what he wants. That's what he longs for. And we are the ultimate means to that end. Why? Because we're God's inheritance. Why would he not want to steal, kill, and destroy? He wants to get every piece he can from it. <laughs> He's no way a little cuddly kitten in the corner. It needs to be scratched and fed. He is a roaring lion waiting to pounce to devour his prey. And he tears it apart. And it's not fun to watch. And we are all guilty. We have to be reminded in the depths of our souls as followers of Jesus Christ. We have to do that from here. We have to do that in the music. We have to do that in the prayers that we pray. We have to do that in our discipleship groups and our connect groups and the times that we fellowship together. We constantly have to be reminding each other and telling each other, hey, look back to the benefits. Look back to the hope of your calling. Remember, you are God's inheritance. There is never an insignificance in you. God loves you that much, and his power is there for you to be utilized. We're eating at the most precious and longed-for food in all of creation. We are the most refreshing well the world has ever offered. The world itself can't even offer the refreshingness of this well that Jesus Christ so freely gives us. We have unlimited access for those of you whose phones always die. The most powerful charger ever, all right? And the power of the Holy Spirit. But then, guess what? There goes that glittery red ball, that glittery rubber ball. 
So Paul's praying here because he knows. Paul prays that we would know, we would know God, we would know the glorious Father of all glory and what he offers. And we would not just know it in our heads, but we would know it in our hearts, we would know it in our emotions, we would know it in our thinking processes, we would know it in our will, we would know it in our desires, we would know it in every way we possibly could. So here's a challenge for you. Sometimes we know what it is by what it's not. So as we consider who we are from the depths of our soul, I ask you this. Where do your thoughts effortlessly go when you have nothing to think about? Where do your thoughts effortlessly go when you have nothing to think about? I am guilty as charged at this one. I spent years upon years beating myself up and realized that my internal dialogue is straight from the pit of hell. Where do your thoughts go? Where they effortlessly go when you have nothing to think about? Is it success? Is it legacy? Is it sex? Is it relationship? Is it money? What is it? Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where does your money effortlessly go without a second thought? Where do you use your treasure so freely? Just let it go. Where do your emotions effortlessly go when you don't get your way? You pray and you work and you strive and you follow and all the culturally accepted checkboxes. You do everything you're supposed to do that you think you should do and you're like, I did everything right. But that job or that promotion or that relationship or that opportunity or whatever it may be didn't work out. Where do your emotions effortlessly go when that happens? When things don't seem to go your way. Let us as followers of Jesus Christ know what we have been freely given. Please, I beg you. I beg you as brothers and sisters in Jesus, remind me of this. Remind me of this. I am not excluded from this as your pastor. Please remind me of this. Let us together set our whole being on our glorious Father of glory. One way we do this corporately is through communion. So go ahead and start opening up your, your very delicious snacks here. If you need one, our um, Connections team will be bringing you one. So as Paul is praying this prayer over followers of Jesus, it is, it is very uh, reminding of what Jesus has, has told his followers or told his disciples in the upper room. And so we have this statement at times that we use before communion. I just want you to see it in front of you. Um, so go ahead and bring it up. It says, The Lord's Supper 
is a symbolic and sanctifying act of faithful obedience, whereby followers of Jesus Christ, as a means of grace through the power of Holy Spirit, inwardly strengthen their faith and receive the confirmation of their spiritual benefits of salvation. So here we are at communion. We point back to Jesus, the same Jesus that is the essence of the power upon the power, according to the power of his power, greatness upon greatness upon greatness, who willfully died on the cross, a criminal's torture to shed blood, to be the ransom that paid you in full, to then be risen again on the third day as a demonstration of God's power, to be seated at the right hand of the throne with everything subjected under his feet as if it's his footstool, and now he is head. We can have hope in our calling by his broken body and his poured out blood. We know that we are his inheritance, and he is going to do everything he possibly can to mature us in the process, in his activity, not ours by the breaking of his body and the pouring out of his blood and the essence of him doing that is in his power he in his power took on humility and broke his body and poured out his blood for us let us rest in that for a second What is that thing? Where do your emotions go? Where does your treasure go? Where do your thoughts go? Hold that. In a minute, as we consume this, let us become what we eat. Not in a weird transubstantiation way, but in a way that is is actualization of just, man, I am getting a chance to physically take on Christ's body. Take in his blood, the blood that paid this for me. Let's do that now. This is his body which was given for you. He said, take it, eat it, and do this in remembrance of me. said, this is my blood, which will be poured out for you. Drink it, take it, and look to me. Do it in remembrance of me. But just as last week, we had the benefits broken up in, in what the Son offers, what the Spirit offers, and what the Father has offered, we're also going to look at that too. And so it's fair for us as followers of Jesus to ask the question, to the Holy Spirit directly, because we can do this. We want you to do this on your own. I hope this penetrates your prayer life. And we're going to do this together corporately, and I pray that you get a chance to do this individually or in your discipleship groups, in your connect groups, when you get together and hang out with other followers of Jesus. Ask this question. So, Holy Spirit, remind me in my will in my mind, in my emotions of who I already am in Christ and the benefits therein. And so because we're 
more like Baptist and Christian church folk. We don't always get a little crazy with the Spirit, and that can be a little uncomfortable at times. So I'm going to ask you as you're sitting in your seat, if you're comfortable, lift your hands up for a second. If not, put your hands just like this on your, your knees, just in a, a physical demonstration of your posture. And I'm going to say this. I pray that you will say this in your heart to yourself. Holy Spirit, remind me. Let me know in my will, in my mind, in my emotions of who I already am in Christ and the benefits therein. Holy Spirit, when I consider how I think, remind me in my thinking processes who I already am in Christ and the benefits therein, the hope of my calling, that I am your inheritance, that the power is endless for me to battle sin in your power put things away that aren't glorifying to you, to rest in you. Holy Spirit, remind me in the way that I use my treasure of who I already am in Christ and the benefits therein. And Holy Spirit, let me rest in my emotions. Penetrate my emotions when I don't get my way, when whatever doesn't work out. Let my emotions reflect the benefits that you've given me. Amen. If you would stand with me, the, the, the praise team's coming up here. I'm going to get out of their way, but we are going to read Scripture corporately together. And so we are doing this out of Revelation. We're going all the way to the back of the book because... You know, when we're talking about a God who is far beyond anything that we can comprehend, nothing surprises him. He's endless, he's eternal, he's holy, he's righteous, he's merciful, he's gracious, he's all-powerful. You can keep naming, we, we duct tape all those things together, put a fuse in it, and it's going to blow us all up. The most glorious explosion ever. And here, in the end of Revelation... He begins to paint this picture that he is going to be victorious in the end. And so we see all the martyrs, the ones that gave their life for the faith, come together here. And they make this statement. I'll read it once, and then we're going to read it together. We're not going to read it like lame old Baptist Christian church folk. We're going to read it like we love the Word of God, and we're worshiping the glorious Father of all glory. And then we're going to praise and sing some just incredible songs here in a minute. So buckle your seatbelts. But here, this is one time, and we're going to read it back. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all the nations will come. And worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Let's do that together. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. 
Who will not fear the Lord and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. One more time and then we'll worship. We'll worship through singing and not just reading scripture or glorifying through reading scripture. 